If I could channel for a moment my inner curmudgeon. You kids don't know how easy you have it. I want to challenge, I want to channel my inner curmudgeon because I want to share what it was like when I was a kid having to deal with the Bible. In the 1970s and 1980s, the most widely used translation was the King James Version of the Bible. Allow me to share a few passages with you. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were partakers of the Holy Ghost. And we've tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, since they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Right. But the word of the Lord was unto them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that sounds like a song, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. Do any of you have any idea whatsoever what those things are saying other than Jema? <laughs> right. Do you know the irony of all of this is that nearly 500 years ago, a man named William Tyndall got a bee in his bonnet. He thought to himself, man, the Bible is only available in Latin. There's this English translation, but it's based on bad texts. I want to have the Bible in English, so the way people speak so that they can read it and understand it. And so he worked and worked with the Hebrew texts and Greek texts which were available at that time, and he came up with an English translation of the Bible because he wanted, he believed that God's word was meant to be read and understood. And you know how they rewarded him? They had him strangled and then burned at the stake. Ironically enough, three years later, the king decided, you know what, we need a Bible in English. <laughs> As with many things in history, you cannot make this stuff up, okay? We have so many English translations, you probably can't even name them all, right? Uh, and yet, most people today don't know what's in the Bible, and they don't know what God says on the whole about what's in the Bible. Uh, and I believe that's because of a couple of things. Thing number one, this is my belief. We Americans are in a post-literate society. Even though we can read, we just don't read. For most of us, the way we go about getting information and ideas into our head is that we binge watch something on Netflix. <laughs> and we're like, man, that was really good. Nice glasses. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, the other reason, the other reason that I think we don't have a tendency to know much of what's in the Bible is because of a cultural shift that's underway. America is kind of less Christian and more secular, and there's no longer an emphasis in education to know the big themes of the Bible. When I was a young man, you were actually considered kind of ignorant 
if you claim to be educated and be unaware of key phrases or key ideas and themes of the Bible, it was considered something to be educated to know those things. Um, and that shift is underway. Now, I'm a pastor, you know this, so I'm paid in a sense to be a good Christian. <laughs> Just kidding, partly about that, okay? But I, I have to admit, I have to admit that even I struggle from time to time to read my Bible. <gasps> what? I know. I struggle from time to time to read my Bible. In fact, it's actually required me to be disciplined. I have to be disciplined about my Bible reading. And I am a voracious reader. I read stuff all the time. I can spend hours reading political commentary. I can spend hours reading demographic studies. I even read stuff from history. I read Washington, Lincoln, Shakespeare for fun. I know that makes me a geek, okay, or a nerd, or whatever phrase you want to lob at me. But if I'm such a voracious reader, why is it so hard for me to read this thing and yet read everything else? I think there's something supernatural at play, all right? There's more to this book than meets the eye. I believe God speaks through the Bible. In fact, I've experienced it in my own life. I've I have heard God and felt God nudging me as I've been reading God's word. God has spoken to me through the Bible. And I wanna lay a contention today. Here's my bottom line in case you miss it. The Bible is meant to be read, understood, and obeyed. The Bible is meant to be read, understood, and obeyed. We've been talking and uh, going through the book of Nehemiah. We've been talking about a guy named Nehemiah. And uh, we're going to be in chapter 8 today. Nehemiah was a Persian government official whom God had burdened to help rebuild the walls and gates of Jerusalem. Nehemiah didn't live in Jerusalem. His family didn't live in Jerusalem, but he was burdened nonetheless to solve a problem that helped God's people. And we've w gone through the chapters and seen the amazing story of how he waited and waited. The right moment came. He pitched his idea to the king. He got permission to go. He showed up. He got everybody organized. And in just 52 days, they rebuilt the walls. An amazing thing. Well, this is taking place in October, which is a few, about a 30 days, 45 days after they finished the wall. And we're going to pick it up in Nehemiah chapter 8. And we're going to look at the first couple of verses. In October, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. The wall was finished in late August. This is now October. All right? And the people had gathered for a public reading of the Torah, the law, the first five books of your Old Testament. They're called the books of Moses. Now, in the past, reading the Torah was limited and confined to the temple, and only men heard it. But this time, it's happening in a public place. It's a large outdoor area of that part of Jerusalem with some really good acoustics. The sound people appreciate that. Right? There were men and women, there were kids, there were young people and old people, there were rich people and poor people. Now, Ezra had arrived 14 years earlier. He was a priest, he was a scholar, he was a teacher of the law, and he's the guy reading the Torah. 
he had determined that he was going to study the law of God and teach it to people. The other thing about October that I want to point out is that this was kind of like their January, their start of the new year. So they have this mind that they're beginning things anew. And this is, this is when this is taking place. So let's keep going, verses 2 and 3. Or verses th verse 3, rather. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. Roughly six hours. Six hours they listened to this guy read from this scroll. And they listened closely. The word here is attentively. Why on earth? I mean, really? Now, I know they didn't have the internet. I know they didn't have Netflix or Star Wars, okay, and special effects from, you know, okay, but there's some things going on. One, they, they recognized that the moment they were in was truly exceptional. They had been exiled. They had their, had, had their tail between their legs. They thought maybe God had up and abandoned them, and he hadn't. And here they are in Jerusalem. The walls have been rebuilt. They know this is a big deal historic moment. Kind of like when the Berlin Wall fell. You knew this is something big is going on. You just knew history's being made. The other thing is that they saw that God clearly was at work. They knocked this thing out in 52 days. They had heard Nehemiah's story, and then they had completed the wall. So let's pick it up, verses 4 through following. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform that had been made for the occasion. To his right stood, and I'm not even going to name these guys, I practice, but look at their names, man. Medatiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, okay? To his left stood more guys. Verse 5, Ezra stood up to the, on the platform in full view of all the people, and when they heard him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people shouted, Amen, Amen, as they lifted up their hands. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces on the ground. So from the platform, he unrolls this scroll. I've always wondered, how long was this thing, right? The first five books, how long was this scroll? And people rose to their feet out of respect I don't know if you've ever been to an event where the President of the United States attends, but when he enters the room, do you know what happens? Everybody stands. I remember going to an event where President Reagan was, and you knew it was like the moment where the bride enters from the back doors. Everybody stood. It's a sign of respect. Did you know that in some churches today, when one of the Gospels is read, people rise to their feet out of respect for the reading of the Gospel? So on, from this platform, he's reading the Torah. The people are standing, and they're listening atten attentively, and they're interested. God's word is meant to be read. God's word is meant to be read and heard. Let's pick it up, verses 7 and 8, and I'll let you follow along on the big screen, right? Verses 7 and 8. Then the Levites, some more guys, instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read. 
helping people understand each passage. So priests and scribes, the word used is translating, but I don't think it means taking Hebrew and making it Aramaic. They were explaining. They clearly explained the meaning of what was being read. So here, imagine priests in their robes milling about people, and somebody, maybe an Ian, goes, hey, what about that thing you just read about the breaking the rock? What does that really mean? And the priest is like, well, you know, this is what happened to Moses, and this is what happened before, and here's the context, and here's what God's doing in that part. And, and there's a conversation that's taking place and questions down below as people are listening. So I imagine there were breaks in the reading of the scriptures. And so priests were able to say, oh, this is what this means, or God did that before, and this is what God wants. God's word is meant to be understood. God's word is meant to be understood. Martin Luther once boasted, I have 40 doctors and magistrates in my congregation, but I speak to young people, children, and servants. And then he concluded, if the educated aren't interested or impressed in what I have to say, the door is open. Meaning, get out. <laughs> Martin Luther didn't mince words. Sound Bible teaching is meant to be accurate, clear, and applied to life. I have to tell you, one of the criticisms that I get from people who show up and don't come back that I'll hear uh, in processing, hey, what's going on, da da da, da is one of the things I get accused of as a preacher is that my preaching's light. You're like, what? I sit through your preaching. It's like long, and you open up the Bible, and you make us go through texts, and when? Then it's always applied to life. Yeah, I know, but... It, there's not a lot of knowledge. I'm, I'm only in one passage. Like Martin Luther, even though I have all these degrees, I want God's word to be understood. I want it to be practical. When you're hearing God's word explained, I want you to at least walk out and go, well, I may not want to do that, but at least I know what it means. <laughs> I don't want there to lack clarity. Mark Twain put it this way. He said, the parts of the Bible that trouble me are not what I don't understand, they're what I understand. I don't want to do them. <laughs> Love my neighbor? <laughs> Love God with a bandit? Are you kidding me? God's word is meant to be understood. We're actually going to tweak something with our small groups this year at Generations. Beginning this fall, I'm going to ask small groups to follow along, whatever they're studying that week, to be the passage that was either taught or explained the Sunday before. I'm going to do that because I, I, God's word is meant to be understood. It will provide a context. I don't know if you've noticed, but like on Sundays, if you have a question, doesn't it feel awkward to slip up your hand and kind of interrupt the preaching? I don't know if you've noticed that, but it just strikes me as a little awkward, okay? That provides a context for people to go, hey, what about this? Or, you know, I think Max is out to lunch because of that. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> he put his hand up, okay? It does that. The second thing it does is, we're, uh, Generations is reaching people and people come here who don't have a lot of Bible background. And to be honest, if they were to say to some of you who went to Asbury or Wheaton, you guys scare me. You know all this stuff about the Bible and I don't know it. Well, I don't know about you, but if I've seen the movie To Kill a Mockingbird, I don't need to have read the book. I'm, if people are talking about To Kill a Mockingbird, I'm gonna jump right in because I saw the movie. <laughs> okay? So it's, it's a mechanism to get people talking about God's word. 
hopefully in a way that will make God's word clear and understood, all right? Well, let's, let's kind of see where they end up, and that's the next couple of verses, all the way to verse 12, and beginning in verse 9. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share the gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You may have heard that one verse. And the Levites too quieted the people, telling them, hush, don't weep, for this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal, to share the gifts of food, and to celebrate with great joy because they had heard God's word and understood them. They're reading the Bible. He's reading the Bible, and people are weeping. What's going on? Well, right? There's the emotion of the day. If you were an American, 9-11 was an emotional day. At the Olympics that followed 9-11, when they brought in the flag, you could have heard a pin drop in that Olympic stadium. Remember that moment? There was emotion connected with that. Here they are in Jerusalem that had been destroyed, burned, and reduced to rubble, defenseless, the people and princes deported. Here they are, the walls have been rebuilt. God is at work. It's an emotional day. The other thing that's going on is you hear God's word, you're confronted with stuff in your own life, and you're like, wow, I am so not walking with God if that's what God wants. <laughs> Ouch. The biblical, the, the Christian word for that is conviction. You're convicted. Uh, most people just use the word guilt, but guilt and conviction are different things. By the way, guilt paralyzes you. Guilt just causes you to want to not do anything, not go anywhere. You're stuck. You just keep spinning your wheels. Conviction has a propelled, kind of a propelness to it. Conviction, you're like, you know, no, there's this, I want to follow God. I may not be able to. I may be struggling, but there, there's kind of a propelling thing with it, and they're different. They're different. There was conviction going on. That's the last thing. God's word is meant to be read, understood, and, yep, obeyed. Obeyed. Let me ask a couple of questions. What role, in light of what we see here in Nehemiah chapter 8, what role does the Bible have in your life right now? Is it largely absent? Does it get to make guest appearances? Is it a main character in the story of your life? And then secondly, what's your stance towards God's word? The people here clearly are open and teachable. Some people at some points in their life are just closed. What's your stance with God's word? Here's where the rubber, rubber hits the road. I'm gonna ask you in light of this, if God's word is meant to be read, understood, and obeyed, do some Bible intake, okay? I feel you. If you say to me, man, it's hard for me to read the Bible, I would say, I totally agree. It's taken tremendous discipline in my life to do that, and I do that in the mornings, all right? But read it. 
Now, knowing our culture to be where it is, if you don't read anything else in your life, reading the Bible is gonna be that much harder for you. I've got good news for you. Did you know you can listen to the Bible? They have this on the, this thing called the internets and it's awesome and it's free. And anytime you have Wi-Fi, you can just let the Bible speak to you through your earbuds. So you don't even have to read it. You can just listen to it. I know someone who took the Bible challenge last year and the game changer for them was they quit trying to read it and they download it on their phone or whatever, the section for the, the, that day, and they listened to it on their way to work. And they were like, oh, I completed this much of the Bible. And they were so excited. And I was like, whoa. And God actually spoke to them in the car. It was weird listening to the Bible. Okay, so you can do this if you're exercising. Anytime you got earbuds in, God's word is an option, gang. God's word is an option when you have those earbuds in. Um, maybe some of you would be willing to read with me. I'm gonna read through the book of Proverbs the next 31 days. You could do a proverb a day. We'll finish, I think, the Tuesday or Wednesday after Labor Day. Um, it'll be posted every day on the Generations Facebook page. Later today in your inbox, you'll get a link for a version version of that. That's an electronic Bible that you can have on any digital device you own. Um, and then see what God says, just churning through the book of Proverbs, all right? Last but not least, this September when groups launch at Generations, you could join a group and actually talk about Bible passages and kick things around and get to what the Bible is really trying to say and what God is really trying to say through the Bible. Ezra and Nehemiah told the people, hey, don't weep, don't be sad, celebrate. Don't focus on your mess-ups. Focus on what God has done instead, all right? When you focus on your mess-ups, you can get paralyzed, confess it, and move on. Um, why is this important? I don't know if you've noticed, but there are a lot of people in America right now saying a lot of things about what God says and doesn't say. And there are a lot of people in America right now that are saying, well, God says this, or God says that, or the Bible says this, or the Bible says that. If you don't know the big themes, if you've never chunked some of that away, you're at the mercy of anybody who stands up and says, well, the Bible says. You want to be informed. You want to have some judiciousness in that. In Acts chapter 17, a group of people, uh, they were called the Bereans. They're actually commended as being noble. And you know why they were commended? Because when the apostles taught, when the apostles were done teaching, the Bereans went, just a minute, Paul. He said in Exodus 20, they actually went back and did their Bible research. And then they came back and said, okay, you're right. <laughs> but they went and figured out to see if what Paul was saying was spot on or not. And the Bible commends them for being noble for that very reason, all right? So there are a lot of people out there saying, well, God told me, or I just have a sense God want, is wanting to say, not all of it's accurate. And one of the ways that you can know is by knowing what's in here. Again, gang, the Bible is meant to be read, understood, and yes, obeyed. And you can do this by something as simple as putting in some earbuds and tuning in God 
a certain number of minutes a day. I want to pray for you and pray for me. God, thank you for the gift of your word. We could invent all kinds of things about who you are and what you're like. And you've chosen special and general revelation, and I'm so glad for the Bible. I am so glad for the Bible. There are parts in it that I go, oh, what? But I know you speak through your word. I ask today that you would convict us and help us to take a step to make a decision today to start just chunking away regular intake of the Bible, whether that's reading it or listening to it, whatever it takes just to be getting, giving you the opportunity to speak to us in that way. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen, amen.